This classic Encounters podcast is brought to you by Encounters North. To learn more about our podcast videos and projects and to support our work, please visit EncountersNorth.org. Hi, I'm Richard Nelson for Encounters, a program of observations, experiences, and reflections on the world around us. Ah, speaking of reflections, this is a day for it. I'm standing beside a stream that flows into the ocean about 100 yards from me. I'm looking back over a glittering expanse of water with the sun shining off it. It's a bright day with breaks in the overcast. I see way in the distance a fishing boat, a troller going slowly by, the mountain slopes falling almost vertically into the water a few miles distance. And then around me now, uh, looking the other direction, a very big meadow of bright green grass, hip high, stretching off several hundred yards in, in every direction. And then at the back edge of this meadow, oh, just about 25 yards from where I am right now, is the great forest of spruce and hemlock and cedar trees. Beyond that, the mountains rising. This is the Tongass National Forest. It takes up essentially all of southeastern Alaska, the Alexander Archipelago. And the stream that I'm standing beside is one of thousands upon thousands of streams that run up into the mountains, into the valleys, into the islands, into the mainland coast of southeast Alaska. And right now, this stream is filled with a torrent of life. This is the time of the salmon runs. The little stream that I'm standing beside is probably about, at this point, about 20 yards across. It's high tide, and I'm still down where the stream is affected by the tide. It'll be a shallow riffle stream as the tide drops, but right now at the fullness of high tide, it's, oh, a couple of feet deep, and these quiet waters, very, very clear with a slight amber cast in them because of the tan and running off from the forest here. This stream is absolutely filled with salmon, thousands upon thousands of salmon, all just within this cold, clear, quiet water that I'm looking at. This pool is probably 50 yards long, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a wild guess and say there's 10,000 salmon, give or take five or six fish maybe, uh, in this pool right in front of me. Their backs up out of the water, hundreds of salmon backs cutting, cleaving the surface of the water. The bank here uh, at the edge of this estuary meadow is only, oh, three feet above the level of the water, but I get a nice view from here, especially with the sun shining in. Salmon, most of them crowded so tightly together you can't even see the bottom of the stream. Almost all of them pointing upstream, but a sort of a milling crowd of salmon. Some of them turn around and swim downstream, and then they circle back in among the group, and little bunches will sort of skitter away in one direction all at once as if they've maybe gotten frightened by me standing here. So it's a busy, lively place filled with life. The meadow itself, this tall grass I was telling you about, is very, very lovely, and if you came up here and you didn't know a little bit about the nature of this place, you'd say, man, there's been a lot of people walking along this stream. This grass is all just pounded down, and there are trails running off uh, every direction through the grass as if, you know, a big crowd of people came up here to look at the fish or something. But I'd wager 
I'm probably the only person who's walked along this stream in a week or, or maybe a month. Something else is pounding down this grass. I've now come up into a big patch of grass all stomped down. And oh, look right here. Here's the silver weed, this little, little green plant that grows here. A bear has been digging here. And that's, that's the answer. That's what's stomping down the grass is brown bears, grizzly bears that have come down along this stream to fish for salmon. And oh yeah, sure enough, they certainly have been fishing for salmon. Here's a place where you can see a bear walk down to the edge of the stream, grabbed a salmon, walked back up into the grass here with it, and the carcass of that salmon has been eaten in a very interesting way. The brain has been bitten out, so the whole top of the head is gone. The tail is there, the rest of the head, some of the meat, but the skin has been stripped off. This is a well-fed bear because it's only taking the choicest part and <laughs> just about five yards away. Here's another one. That last one was a male salmon with a big hook jaw on it. This is a female salmon with a little strew of, of orangish-red eggs laying on the ground, but most of those eggs were eaten, and this, the meat along the side, which is very rich in fat, has been eaten, and then the rest of the carcass left there. And that's probably why there were, when I first came in here, probably, oh, a thousand or two thousand gulls along the lower reaches of the stream and unfortunately my presence caused them to move off to a far sandbar where in fact just as I'm speaking a great whirling flock of gulls lifts up off the sandbar like a like a feathered snowstorm and spins around and now now begins now begins drifting back down onto the sandbar. I'm gonna walk up here up along the edge of the stream here Getting to above that quiet pool, oops, here's another salmon with just, a, just the back bitten, the meat of the back bitten out of it, laying right in the middle of this stomp down grass. And now I'm coming up to where we're above the level of the tide here, right at the edge of the trees. Oh, here's three, four, five, six other salmon carcasses laying here on an area where the vegetation, I mean, it's actually just, the vegetation is almost gone. There's been so much activity and here are some uh, it's the the work has been well signed by its maker there's big bear tracks all over the all over the ground here I'm gonna walk out into the stream now because the stream is very shallow here and uh, passing oh maybe uh, 150 salmon carcasses dying uh, dead fish that have been through there now you hear these fish they've been through their spawning cycle and they have died but now I'm walking right into a school of fish. Now it isn't very often you can say that you've walked in the middle of a, of a school of fish, but that's what I'm doing right now. I'd say there's 700 or 800 salmon here in this shallow water, which is barely deeper than my ankles if I walk right across the stream here, which I'm doing right now. It goes up, not quite to, my, to the tops of my boots, which are mid-calf height. So it's a fairly shallow stream and it's absolutely jammed with fish. As I look up the stream now, you know, imagine the silvery surface of the stream and the current kind of rushing down over the shallow water. And everywhere you look, you might think they were rocks, but no, watch them, they're moving. Those are the backs of salmon. I'm looking for more than that because as I go up here into the woods, you know, there could be that big four-legged animal fishing. I don't think that, uh, that it would take umbrage at my presence as long as uh, it knows I'm coming. But you know, you are listening to this program recorded 
but I would guess there's a very high probability that a large brown animal is listening to it live right now. <laughs> I want to tell you about the way the life history of the salmon works, and this is a great place to do it because I'm standing right next to a female salmon who has staked out her territory here where she is laying, has been laying her eggs. She's not doing it right now. When the salmon come in from the far reaches of the ocean, I guess I better start first things first, they follow the, apparently, the magnetic field of the earth, guiding them toward their natal stream. In other words, guiding them toward the very same stream in which they were born. They swim as much as 22 hours per day from the far reaches of the ocean, coming back to this stream, these very fish around me right now. As they get closer, they use their sense of smell to find the exact stream and even the same gravelly shallow where their parents spawned and where they hatched. So in other words, these fish around me, these hundreds of fish, have come back to the same place where they were born. And in fact, maybe literally the very same place. Perhaps these fish around me all were born within, you know, 50 yards of this place where I'm standing. Now look, the scientists who study, the ichthyologists who study salmon say that salmon really literally do come back to the same spot where they were born. There are five species of salmon in southeast Alaska. The ones around me right now are called pink salmon or humpback salmon or humpies, the local vernacular for them. They are one of the small species of salmon. They only get to be about as long as, say, hold out your arm, it would be the bigger fish here would be about from your fingertips to your elbow. That's the pink salmon or humpy. The chum salmon would be the second species which spawns in this very same stream, although they're finished spawning now, uh, about from your fingertips even up to your shoulder. They're pretty big fish. The coho or silver salmon is about that same size, fairly heavy fish. It can go 20, 25 pounds. The sockeye salmon or red salmon is another species. Spawns, runs up streams like this into lakes and then into the feeder streams of the lakes. That's where sockeye spawn. And then the king salmon, the giant, well-named fish, the king, the Chinook salmon, which can get up close to 100 pounds, the huge ones, but 35 or 40 is a, is a big king salmon. These fish are sustained by the rivers and the forest and the sea, and they help to sustain the river, forest, and sea in turn. I'll tell you more about that a little bit later, but I want to get back to talking to you about the spawning of these fish. As they come up into the stream, they hold in, first in the salt water just offshore, then in the deep pool like those fish I was telling you about a little bit ago down there in, at the edge of the tide, and then they slowly move up, getting used to the fresh water. Their bodies begin to adapt to a freshwater environment after all those, that time in salt water. And they hold also out there at the, in the lower reaches of the stream while the eggs mature in the females and the milt or sperm forms in the males. Their bodies change color or shape. And so here I'm standing right next to a female salmon. She looks pretty much as you would imagine, a sleek, streamlined fish of four or five pounds. That's pretty much the way she would have looked in, in salt water, except one thing, her color has changed. She's quite dark on her sides and white on her belly and dark on her sides and her back. 
Out in the ocean, she would have been very, very bright silver color. All the salmon are silvery like that when they're out in the ocean. The males have taken on the same color. There's a male attending this female. He's the same kind of color, black on top now and white on his belly, but he also has changed shape. So there's a big hump on his back, uh, quite a strange-looking, abrupt hump like a heel on his back. And his jaws have changed, so they've gotten much longer, and they're hooked out toward the nose, and he has big teeth. And he's actually, right now, using those teeth, uh, sort of biting at another male salmon who's trying to claim the territory next to this female. Now what she has done, she comes up into the stream, she finds a place where she's going to make her nest, and this female right next to me has now fanned the gravel and dug out a depression about as big around as if you took your arms and made a basket shape. That's about how big this depression is that she's, she's made. She's laying right in the middle of it. This is called a red, R-E-D-D. And these things can be uh, sometimes as much as 10 feet long and 3 feet wide. It takes her many hours to fan the gravel out. She, I see another female a little farther out in the stream now turning on her side, fanning the gravel, and digging this depression with her tail. Wow, I just heard a, I just heard a sound, and it, uh, it really caught my attention. I thought maybe it was a big animal coming down out of the woods, but, <laughs> but it's not. I don't think... A bear is likely to bother me. A well-fed bear is going to stay clear of me standing here in the middle of the stream yakking away. So the female probes the nest for depth, and when she gets, in, when she gets the right depth, she's ready to start spawning. She arches her body in a kind of a U-shape, and this excites the male into his courtship display. He quivers beside her. He crosses back and forth over this, his chosen female salmon. Their mouths, then, as they, as they get ready for the actual spawning, i got to tell you that this female salmon and the male are now six inches from my boots. The male is right down between my legs. The female is just to the right. And uh, neither of them is willing to move away from this territory that they've claimed. When they get ready to, uh, to spawn, their mouths gape, their fins vibrate, the partners release together the female, her reddish-orange eggs, and the male, his cloud of milky sperm into the water. As soon as she does this, the female goes upstream of her, of this depression, this red that she's made, and she fans gravel and grit back over to cover those eggs. The female will dig several of these nests or reds. The pink salmon will lay a total of 1,500 to 2,000 eggs in all. And then she'll guard this nest, which I suspect is, oh, the male just brushed right against my boots, went downstream from me right through my legs, and he's coming back up again now. The female is here, and she will guard her eggs for several days as she also piles on more gravel to cover these eggs. After spawning, their bodies very rapidly age, and I'm seeing this all around me now. Uh, fish with a very accelerated glandular activity, their tissues of their body, their organs, even their blood goes through this accelerated aging process. And within a week or 10 days, the fish, the male and the female, will both die. The incubating eggs now will be down, as there are, I'm sure I'm walking right now over the top of many, many incubating salmon eggs that have been covered by the females. Now, I'm not damaging them. The incubating eggs down in here need this clear, fresh water that's full of oxygen 
as they develop. Uh, they can't get silted in. They can't get covered with mud or they will die down in there. You hear all those salmon? They're bumping against my boots. They're spraying, they're spraying water all over my all over my legs. I'm going upstream here and now I'm about 50 yards up into the forest. So lovely up here. The great towering coniferous trees hanging over the stream. The rushing water sinuously coming down along its rocky gravelly bed. I've come up onto a big rocky bar next to the river here. Looking off into the forest now, the Devil's Club leaves turning yellow as the as the season moves from summer into fall. There's two giant trees that have fallen over the stream here just ahead of me and the stream absolutely filled with fish. Hundreds and hundreds of pink salmon now in their spawning beds. The eggs that are laid down here in the gravel will hatch in the middle of the winter and the little fish that emerges is called an alevin. It looks like a little tiny little eel-like thing with a big yellow, yellowish, reddish, orange yolk sac attached to it. It stays hidden down there in the gravel, safe from predators. And here again, the high oxygen content of the water, the clear water, not muddy, not silty, is crucial for its survival. When the yolk sac is fully absorbed then, this little alevin will slither up like an eel, slither up through the gravel, and usually they'll emerge at night again to, so they don't expose themselves to predators. These tiny little fish need quiet pools like the one just um, behind these two trees that have fallen across the river. They need these pools. They need the cut banks. They need the quiet little tributary streams, uh, sort of still water where they stake out their own little territory and feed on tiny organisms in the stream. The time that they stay in the stream or a lake, if it's a sockeye salmon for example, will stay in a lake, the time that they stay in fresh water varies so that the sockeye will stay in its lake, the little, little sockeye, for one to three years. The pink salmon and the chum salmon move almost immediately to salt water in late winter or spring. They move just let the current slowly carry them down into the salt water and, and they will stay then off the mouth, mouth of the stream for a while. Only 10 to 20 percent of hatchling salmon survive these very early stages of their life. Now the young salmon start to grow a little bit more quickly once they get down off the mouth of the stream into the rich nutrient-rich estuary areas where they feed on microscopic plankton. And then after some weeks, they school together these tiny little fish and they head out to sea. They travel north within 20 miles, 25 miles of the shore of southeast Alaska, going north and then west following the edge of the Gulf of Alaska. And by fall, the year-old fish are four to six inches long. Year old now. By next fall, these little fish are only going to be four to six inch long little minnowy, little minnowy salmon. They then move out into the great circling gyre current of the North Pacific, uh, south of the Aleutian Islands, out into the central part of this huge northern ocean. Some of the uh, silver salmon, some of the king salmon stay closer to home. They, they winter out here off southeast Alaska, but most of the fish are out there in their enormous schools in the middle of the, in the, middle of the big ocean. All salmon are predators, but their diet varies. The sockeye salmon, for example, will feed on little planktonic organisms. The uh, chums and sockeyes, uh, um, chums and silver salmon, and the pinks and kings all have a different kind of diet. Like cohos and kings eat fish and crustaceans and squid. Their time at sea varies according to which species they are. 
uh, and also individually. Like, for example, the chums and sockeyes usually stay out there in the ocean for three to six years, averaging about four years. The pink salmon, all these hundreds of fish around me, all come back in their second year of life. So these are all two-year-old fish here. The distance they go upstream will vary too. Now, some of the pink salmon in this stream are spawning down there in the inter intertidal zone. Of course, many of them are spawning right in front of me. Some of them are going a mile or two or three or maybe five miles up this stream, and that's it. Now, some of the fish, like the ones that run in the Yukon River, go a long ways, a thousand miles, maybe two thousand miles, before they go through those changes, those metabolic changes, and start to spawn and then die. The record was a king salmon that went all the way up the Yukon River, 2,400 miles to Teslin Lake, where it spawned. So there's a tremendous amount of genetic variation in salmon. Each stream, this particular stream, which I don't even think has a name, this little stream along Salisbury Sound in southeast Alaska has its own run of fish. They're genetically unique to this place. Every stream has its own genetic strain of salmon. So there's a tremendous amount of variability in these fish. Uh, Native people, Tlingit Indian people in this part of the world will talk about how the fish from a particular stream are fat and rich and tasty. Those in another stream are much less, have much less fat in them, each run being having a certain taste and it's good for smoking or it's good for eating fresh. Some of the streams have big fish, some have smaller fish. I'm walking through a big bunch of fish here and I'm going to pick up, laying here actually right side by side, two dead female pink salmon. One has both of its eyes pecked out by the gulls that were in here before I came along. One still has one eye remaining. They are white. Their skin is all worn. The color is completely worn off their skin except for a few patches of it. They just look like the epitome of an animal that is that is decaying. And just up here a little ways is a, another fish that looks just like those two except for one thing. Its gills are still moving. This fish is dying right before my eyes. In fact, there are five or six of them in this little quiet pool becoming stiff. They, they move sort of awkwardly. Their skin is dry. I can bend down. I can, I, I don't think I'll do it, but I could, I could pick up these fish because the slippery slime and the, and the quickness and the strength is gone from these fish as they begin to, as they actually near the end of, the, of their lives. Now here's something that is remarkable about these fish. Laying all along the sides of this stream, are dead fish, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. As I look down the stream, the whole side of the stream that I'm standing on is littered with salmon carcasses. When I look across the other side of the stream, littered with salmon carcasses, the bed of the stream itself, the salmon carcasses in every quiet spot. So there are hundreds of thousands of fish that are decaying back into the stream. And what are they doing? They are fertilizing the stream in which their own young will grow. So here is one of the marvels of salmon, that this generation of fish, the parent generation, not only do they lay and bury and protect the eggs, but they fertilize the, the stream itself so that their offspring will have a rich stream to grow up in. And there's something more to it. I'm walking across the stream now and stepping up into, I'm uh, going to step up into the woods over here because I see something. Here at 
just going up out of the stream here. And here laying, I'm going back on the mossy stream bank and back here, passing one salmon carcass, another salmon carcass, three, four, five, six, along this little feeder stream, in the moss, back into the forest here. Now I've got, mm, I'm looking at 50 or 60 salmon that are laying in the moss. Here's one that looks like it just got placed up here today, probably by a bear, maybe dragged up here by an otter, a partly eaten one. And here's one that's just a beautiful, impeccably preserved little salmon skeleton. And here's another one of those skeletons. As the fish are basically dissolving into the soil of this forest. And here's another one between walking over here past some skunk cabbage. Here's one, two, three, four, five. You know, I wonder if whoever ate these fish isn't really close by here. Five or six, very seven, eight, very fresh salmon laying right in this little copse of trees. And I'm actually gonna head back for the stream because there are so many salmon here around me that have been freshly eaten. Now think about this. These salmon are fertilizing the forest itself. They are nutrients brought from the far reaches of the Pacific Ocean into this forest. And the nitrogen and other nutrients of these fish accumulating have a very important effect of helping to nourish the forest itself. Think of the accumulated nutrients from the many thousands of fish, truckloads and truckloads of fish that are in this stream right now. Then think of all the streams running up into the land all along this coast, into the forest, with these nutrients coming from the far ocean, not just this year, but for thousands and thousands of years, perhaps a million years or more, every year, these nutrients coming in and being carried back into the forest by bears, by otters, by mink, by marten, uh, droppings from eagles, from gulls into the forest. And it begins to add up over the course of millennia to something very important. Streams are like arteries and veins running from the sea into the body of the land and the forest. So here is a beautiful reciprocity between fish and land. Salmon have been used for thousands and thousands of years by people. Native people along the northwest coast lived on salmon, and yet after all the thousands of years that they had been using fish, when the first Europeans came to this coast, they were astounded by the abundance of salmon. Within 60 or 70 years after commercial canning and salting of salmon began in the 1880s, uh, salmon in these streams were severely depleted. If you'd come along this stream in 1940 or 1950, you might have seen very few salmon here, quite unlike today. People began to learn a lesson about overfishing, about the use of fish traps, about taking too many fish, and the management of salmon improved. But along much of this coast, urban impacts, loss of spawning habitat, roads, railroads, industrial pollution, dams, and uh, large-scale clear-cut logging has had a devastating effect on salmon populations. The estimate is that out of about 400 West Coast stocks of salmon, 100 have already become extinct and another 200 are at risk today. So we still have things to worry about with salmon for our future. Salmon are fish of the forest. It seems paradoxical, and yet it's true. And I guess, in a way, the forest is a reflection of the salmon, too. Each is a gift to the other, and both are gifts to us all. Salmon are miraculous creatures. It's as if 
through this mass synchronous death, through their susceptibility to overfishing and habitat loss, they're teaching us a lesson. They're showing us how life works. They're showing us how we can or cannot live responsibly in our environment. The passenger pigeon is extinct today. The buffalo exist only in thousands compared to the many millions that existed once. But the salmon, we've still got the salmon. And I hope that we can preserve this miracle on into the future. I'm reminded to say that there's beauty and mystery in every cranny of our world. That all nature, this is the community to which we ourselves belong. And that our voices are the earth singing to itself by a salmon stream rich and lavish and profligate with life. I'm Richard Nelson for Encounters. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Encounters is a production of the Island Institute and KCAW in Sitka, Alaska. This program was written and narrated by Richard Nelson, edited by Ken Fate, and produced by Lisa Bush. Theme music by Outback. To find out more information about Encounters, visit us on the web at EncountersNorth.org. Thank <laughs> you.